Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on October 30th, 2016, on the basis of Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. He was as good as dead. The man in question was named John. He had been one of Jesus' 12 disciples and then had been sent out as one of his apostles to witness to the world everything that Jesus had said and done. But now he was the last one left. All the rest were dead, and none of them from natural causes. And now he had been sent into exile by the Roman government onto a small island in the Mediterranean called Patmos. And as this last living direct link to Jesus was now essentially out of the picture, I'm sure there were many Christians in the early church who wondered to themselves, what's next? You fast forward 1,500 years, and this time the man wasn't as good as dead. He was just dead. This man was named Martin Luther, And 30 years prior to his death, on October 31st, 1517, he had done something that probably seemed pretty harmless at the time. He had nailed 95 theses, 95 statements for debate and discussion on the door of a castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. And through this seemingly harmless act, he he set the wheels in motion for a series of events that has changed the course of history and even still shapes our world today 499 years later. In the years that followed, Martin Luther stood before kings and princes. He stood before the pope and cardinals, and he boldly, courageously, clearly confessed the very truths that still form our identity as a church that bears his name. But now the great reformer was dead. And I'm sure among the thousands of people who were there at his funeral to watch his body laid to rest, I'm sure there were at least a few who were wondering, okay, so what next? Fast forward another 500 years to today, and maybe it seems as though the church itself, or Christianity in general, is the thing that is as good as dead. We might be tempted to picture Christianity sort of as this once mighty prize fighter that is now well past its prime. A prize fighter that recently has been receiving blow after blow after blow, whether that's from courts or from the media or from society in general. A prize fighter that that maybe has already hit the floor a couple of times and and now is just staggering around the ring in this state of semi unconsciousness, just waiting for that inevitable knockout blow to be delivered. And maybe we too would be tempted to ask the question, what's next? What's next for the Church of the Reformation? What's next for churches that call themselves Lutheran? Well, when the, the early Christians asked that question, their answer was these words. The Apostle John wrote these words. He wrote the entire book of Revelation while he was on the island of Patmos in exile. The very last book of the Bible, God's final word 
to mankind was their, their answer. And as thousands of people gathered for Luther's funeral and also wondered what's next, these words were their answer too. Because as Luther's pastor stepped into the pulpit to deliver his sermon at Luther's funeral, these were the very words that were in front of him. And so as Christians here and now who, who maybe wonder that same question, what's next? It's very fitting for us to have these same words in front of us. Words that, that beautifully answer that question. What is in fact next? In this section of the book of Revelation, John had been seeing in a vision this epic cosmic war going on. It was a war between God and the devil. And it was a war that was being fought not for a country, not for a society, but it was a war being fought for the souls of all mankind. It was a war being fought over you. In this section of Revelation, there are words like worship and fear and honor and glory that are used over and over and over again. And both the devil and God want those things from you. Picture it as a game of musical chairs. And we're at that point in the game where there's just one chair left, one seat, one throne in your heart. And whoever is sitting in that seat Whatever is occupying that throne, that is the thing to whom you are giving your glory. And both the devil and God want that seat. Okay, so it's, it's war between God and the devil. So what? We know who's going to win, right? And yet as John watches this vision unfold, what he sees is that it appears as though the devil is the one who has every advantage imaginable. For starters, there are way more ways for the devil to win than there are for God. For God to win this war, he himself has to be sitting in that seat. And so he says over and over again, you need to give your glory to me. On the other hand, for the devil to win, he simply needs anything or anyone other than God sitting in that seat. And in fact, very rarely will the devil say, give your glory to me. Instead, he'll say, give your glory to this. Give your worship to that. He'll try and get anyone or anything to take a place in that seat other than God. The devil also seems to have a huge advantage in terms of strategy and resources. In this vision, the devil is pictured as this giant flying dragon. And he has two powerful, terrible beasts as his allies. As the devil carries out his campaign, he infiltrates and corrupts two of the most powerful institutions on earth, government and organized religion. And as the devil tries to rob glory from God, he launches a terrible smear campaign against God. He uses brute force to coerce people away from God. He dazzles them with impressive signs and displays of power. He even uses bribery. He makes it economically advantageous for you to give your glory to someone other than God, all so that he can get someone, something, anyone, anything in that seat. And so we pause here and, and we think about the devil's strategy. We think about his tactics, and, and we can't help but admit how often he is successful in what he's trying to do. 
how often he is successful when he comes and whispers in our ears. Don't give your glory to God. No, give your glory to money. Give your glory to your career. Give your glory to your family, to your children. Give your glory to, to sports and entertainment. Give your glory to romance or sex. Give your glory to yourself. Give your glory to your own feelings, your own ambitions, your own passions. Give anyone or anything that glory. We can't, we can't help but admit that very often the devil is successful in what he does. But that's okay. In these verses, we get to the part of the vision where, where John now sees exactly what God is going to do. I mean, if, if the devil is doing all of this, you can only imagine, right, what our God is going to do to win this war against him. Here's what John sees. Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory. I can't help but think that if, if John had a, a pause button for this vision, or if John even knew what a, a pause button was, he would have pressed it at this point. If not to actually complain to God for a moment, at the very least to question him. On the one hand, you've got the devil, this, this ferocious dragon with two beasts as his allies, and they are using every trick in the book to try and rob God of his glory, and this is all God does in response? He sends out a, a single angel, a single messenger, to kind of just hover above the earth and, and call out to the people of the world, no, you should, you should instead fear God and you should give him your glory. More than anything else that we see going on in our world today, I think this is a legitimate reason for Christians to ask, what's next? In other words, what more, God, are you going to do? I mean, this is nice and all, but what more are you going to do to defeat the devil? What more do you want us to do to defeat the devil? What else do you have planned to win this war? What's next? Well, let's see what's next. The angel says, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. God's entire strategy for winning this war against the devil and ultimately winning your heart is simple. It's to bring judgment to the earth. In other words, it's to bring clarity and understanding. It's to give us the ability to see things as they truly are. To first of all see God as he truly is and then by extension to also see the devil as he truly is. And notice that this angel says that this judgment that God is going to bring to earth, this judgment has already come. Past tense. In fact, this judgment, this clarity, this understanding and ability to see God as he truly is was delivered in the person and work of our Savior Jesus, in his life, death, and resurrection. In our Savior Jesus, we are able to see God as he truly is and, by extension, see the devil as he is. In other words, what's next? Nothing. A full 100% of the what that needs to be done for God to win the war against the devil and win your heart for him 
a full 100% of it has been done. As Jesus said on the cross, it's finished. As we Lutherans like to sing on Reformation Sunday, he's judged, the deed is done. So what kind of judgment does, does Jesus bring? What do we see about God and see about the devil in, in the brilliant light that is Jesus? Well, we see those very simple and yet very profound truths that were recaptured and reclarified for the church at the time of the Reformation. The truths that we have been looking at for the past several weeks. We looked at this one. In Latin, sola gratia, grace alone. In Jesus, we see that we have a, a God who gives. Not a God who bargains. Not a God who makes deals or negotiates with us, but a God who loved us so much that he just gave his only son to be the substitute for a world of sinful people. And that means, by the way, that when the devil comes along and he tells us that God doesn't give, that God does bargain and negotiate, when he tells us that, that God won't love us or can't forgive us unless we live up to our end of the bargain, when, when the devil tells us those things, we know that he lies. We also looked at this one, sola fide, faith alone. In Jesus, we see that we have a God who works. A God who sends his Holy Spirit to work through the means of grace, through word and sacrament, to work faith in our hearts. And through that faith, to work a perfectly right standing for us before our God and a certain home for us in heaven. Which, by the way, means that when the devil comes along and tells us that God doesn't work, and that we instead must work, that in order for us to be right with God or get to heaven, we need to sort of pile up our goodness as high as we can, and then we can lift it up and hold it to God, and maybe also point out how much higher it is than the person who's sitting next to us right now, and, and hope that it's good enough. When the devil says those things to us, we know he lies. God gives, God works, the devil lies. That explains this one. Sola Scriptura. Scripture alone. We have a God who speaks. These words are, are really a beautiful illustration of that. Here the devil is using every trick in the book, right? Brute force, smear tactics, coercion, bribery, impressive signs and displays of power. Why does he use all those things? He's trying to cover up his lies. He needs a diversion. In contrast, the message that God has for us is inseparably connected to a real person and real history, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Which means, by the way, that the message of this book and the message that the angel proclaimed is not called the good advice or the good rules or the good opinions or the good editorials. It's called the good news. It's also, by the way, why this angel in this vision is, is up in midair. He is suspended high above the fray where the dragon and the beasts cannot touch him and cannot stop him. Impressive signs, brute force, coercion, those are just needless smoke screens for our God. He can simply speak. So God gives, God works, God speaks. The devil lies. 
who is going to get your glory? That's the last one. Soli Deo Gloria. Glory to God alone. I don't know about you, but but when I think about this last one, it kind of seems like wishful thinking compared to all the rest. In other words, grace alone, yes. Faith alone, yes. Scripture alone, yes. Glory to God alone, maybe. He ought to get the glory. He should get the glory. He might get the glory. I hope he gets the glory. No, in reality, God will get the glory. Just as surely as those other three are true, and in fact, because those other three are true, God will get the glory. Just as surely as he sits on a throne in heaven, he will one day sit on the throne in every single human heart. Now, of course, to some that is to their great delight and their eternal reward. And to others who do not see the judgment that Jesus has brought to this earth during this life, to them, very sadly, it will be to their eternal horror and doom. But one way or another, in the end, God will get the glory. And so really, these verses that are in front of us suggest to us a question that is different from the one that we've been asking. What's next? Well, well, nothing is next because the hour of God's judgment has already come. Instead, the real question to be asked is, who's next? Who's going to play the role of this mid-air angel next? It's no wonder that in Luther's day, the people thought that Martin Luther himself was kind of a fulfillment of this prophecy. And without a doubt, the gospel was heard in the world with a, with a clarity and a conviction through the lips of Martin Luther in a way that had been absent for many years. But even at the time of the Reformation, people understood that this prophecy was bigger than just Martin Luther. That mid-air angel is not just Luther himself, but it is every man, woman, and child on the face of the earth who delivers the good news of Jesus to someone who dwells on earth. So who's next? Who is going to tell the next generation that they have a God who gives and works and speaks and that the devil only lies? Who is going to tell that person down your street that they are saved, not through some burden of goodness that they must live up to, but by grace and through faith? Who is going to spare no expense to send people to every community in America, every country in the world, to proclaim in every tongue known to man, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come? Who's next? Brothers and sisters in Christ and fellow members of the Church of the Reformation, we're next. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.